It's good to see you all this morning. I'm glad to gather with the church this morning. Um, I wanted to make quick comments this morning. Actually, I, I wasn't going to do this, but I think by just sheer divine providence of 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 uh, Elder Kenny reading Romans chapter 12 and, and getting to verse 10 where it says, uh, show one another love and outdo one another with honor. Um, I, I, just, I just feel that um, last, uh, last Sunday, our sermon for our church was such a blessing for us um, that I, I, I think it's one of those, at least for me, it's a, it was a cornerstone kind of sermon for us uh, in a sense, as we gathered around the Lord's table and just such, I thought just such glorious unity in, in the body of Christ as we, as we took the supper. And so I, I thank you, brother, for bringing that word. Um, so we're in uh, Hosea 14. Questions are on the screen. Is there, Kelly, you good? Usually you're the one who can't see. So, okay, I'm usually just standing in your way. Um, and so I want us to uh, look at Hosea 14. And so as we've been uh, going through Hosea, today is going to be our, 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 last, uh, our last sermon through, uh, through Hosea. And I hope you've been, been blessed. I hope you've been encouraged. Uh, I hope you've been exhorted to, to obedience and to holiness. Um, and that also, I think even in, in all of that, there would be a greater delight for the Lord. A greater delight for, for Christ and and, and, and hopefully you'll see the connection that as, as God's Word is, 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 uh, is exposed to us, right? It's expositively preached to us that we'll see the church behold, behold glory and the glory of, of Christ. That's, that's our goal in all, of our, in all of our preaching, but I hope you're able to see it even particularly as we walk through, um, as we walk through uh, Hosea. When, when we started Hosea, we looked at chapters 1, and I think we looked at just like verse 1 in, in Hosea, and then in 2 and 3 after that, we, we, we really took a, a, broad, uh, a, a broad scope of, of salvation history in, in our first sermon, and, and so that we can get a, excuse me, a broad context of, of the nation of Israel in the, in the, in the northern kingdom, and, and then as we went through week after week through Hosea, we've, we've been taking the, the lens and just tightening it up even more to we were almost into a, 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 micro, a macro uh, shot. Right? We, got, we got really close and, and intense into the, in, into the Scripture, kind of like a, a, a Hubble telescope kind of view of, of, of things. Uh, and so, so now as we, uh, as we continue our, our walk through Hosea, and this is our, our last uh, Sunday, I want us to kind of keep that tightness onto the scripture, and then at the end, I'm going to bring it right back out again, almost to the point where we, where we started, and that we can understand how Hosea, once again, fits into salvation history, and how it is such a glorious picture of, of the gospel for us. Uh, and so, so that's, that's kind of my, my goal this morning, and um, uh, if I don't get there, uh, uh, Pastor Bill, you are... Uh, you're responsible to land the plane if I don't get us there in, in time. So, so let's just overview the story, right? So, so there's, this, there's the prophet of Israel, right, Hosea, and, and that's awesome. That's Lydia. Everybody say hey to Lydia. She's working on very minimal sleep this weekend because we are awesome parents. I'm just kidding. Sorry about that. 
Okay, so, so there's Hosea, a prophet of the Lord of the northern kingdom in, in Israel. And before uh, uh, Hosea could even start his preaching ministry, right, his prophetic ministry, God comes to Hosea and speaks to him, right? The word of God came to Hosea. You can see it in verse, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of God came to Hosea. And it wasn't a, a message of, this is what you're going to preach. It was, no, Hosea, you're going to go get married. Some of you all are like, hey, I want that message. All right, a couple of our young men up front here are kind of waiting for that. You know, um, come, All right, Lord, send me. Right? But Hosea's message was a little bit different because God called Hosea to, to go marry a wife of whoredom, a prostitute. And he was also to have children with, his, with this new wife of his. And so this is what he did. He went out and he got married. He married Gomer. And he was obedient to the Lord. God's prophet was obedient to the Lord to go marry such a woman. And so they had three children. And in chapter three, we see those we see those three or we see the three children in chapter one and two. And then in chapter three, the story continues again where, where Hosea's wife, Gomer, somehow, some way, turned away from his from her husband, walked away from her, her loving husband, and also her children abandon her family so that she could go back into the life of prostitution. And God called Hosea, even though he was allowed to divorce her, God told him to go redeem her, go buy her back, go buy her back with a price. And what we see through this illustration and why God would call Hosea to marry such a woman is that God was illustrating a greater reality. The greater reality of of God's loving commitment to Israel and yet also Israel's unfaithfulness to God and the abandonment, the constant abandonment of God's love and God's faithfulness and God's grace. And so we see throughout Hosea as well as throughout a lot of the minor prophets and the major prophets, God's warning to them that he is going to pour out his wrath upon them and he will judge them. But yet also we've seen throughout Hosea God's story of love. His love and his commitment towards people. I mean, we saw it in, in, in chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, meaning I'll, I'll bring her back, bring her into the wilderness, speak tenderly to her. Verse 16 of chapter 2. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. Verse 19 of chapter 2. And I will betroth you forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and mercy. So it's not all judgment. We see the tenderness of God being expressed in chapter 11 when he calls, when he says to Israel, says, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away and they kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in their arm, my arms and, and, I, and, and they did not know that it was I that healed them. I led them with cords of kindness and bands of love and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and I fed them. Verse 8, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adama? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. 
the love of God displayed for His people, the emotion of, of God shown here passionately, I love my people. They're my people whom I called to be my people. And so as we come to Hosea 14 this morning, there's a climax of our book. Almost like a crescendo of a song. There's been this building up to chapter 14 where God is this last pleading for them to repent and return to Him. And there's this almost this beautiful song of, of promise as well in chapter 14. God's showing His passion. And just as we saw in chapter 2, we just read it, that He will allure her. I think that's what we see in chapter 14. There's this, there's this wooing her back to Him. Wooing her back to Him. Now let's read chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Verse 1, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord and say to Him, Take away all iniquity except what is good, and we will pay with bulls and the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. And we won't say no more, our God, to the works of our hands. In you, the orphan finds mercy. I will, hear the, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew of Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take the root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His Beauty shall be like the olive and the fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like the evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whatever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But the transgressors stumble in them. Amen. We said in week, chapter, in week two that love's challenge, this is one of the themes of this book is God's love, and, and love's challenge is sin. He said the second thing that loves recovery is through repentance. And this is what we see in, 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 in verses 1 through 3, is we see repentance. The, this, this return. This re, return to me. This, repentance is a, is a pretty familiar word. We've, we've heard it throughout our, our church experience, but in so many times, like so many things, we, we, it's kind of lost its meaning. It's kind of lost its meaning because we, we use it so many ways and a lot of times it's been used incorrectly, but it's lost its meaning. It's, kind of, it's kind of become kind of that old sitcom that, that you really liked back in the day or whatnot and it's on Netflix now, but you know it's always there. You don't watch it, but you know it's always there because it's not as humorous anymore or it's not as dramatic anymore. That's what repentance has kind of come. That word has kind of become that to us. It doesn't become a, a sweet call to return to the Lord. And this is what we see throughout this, this section here. Return. 
Turn. Repent. That's the, the basic understanding of, of repentance. Literally means to, to, to turn. This is where we get this idea, to, to return, to return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. It means to completely change directions. Right? It's like, it's like you're driving south on 80, you forget something, you forget your phone, right? and you do a U-turn, and now you start going north on 80. You were going one way, but now you are going another. So repentance is the same idea. You're turning away from something, and that something is sin and the flesh and selfishness, and we're turning toward the Lord. And this is the direction it says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Not to sin, not to Baal, not to sacrificing, but to the Lord your God. Brothers and sisters, this morning, if you are if you've been living in sin, you've been under the weight of, of shame and guilt this morning, if you feel dry, little intimacy with the Lord, this chapter this morning, let it be a breath of fresh air. Let, let repentance become something that is not old, but something that is sweet. That it's the kindness and grace of God that leads us to Him, to enjoy Him and to delight in Him once more. This chapter is for you. This, this, this chapter here, is, it's kind of like if, you, if you've ever had a conversation with, with someone else and, and, and basically you're describing to them how you, you know you hurt someone's feelings or, or you offended them and you're just kind of broken up about it. You really, you really hate what happened. Like, oh, I'm so, gosh, I can't believe I did that. I shouldn't have said it that way. I know that was wrong. And I'm sitting there, I'm having this conversation with Kelly. I'm telling Kelly all these things. And Kelly's just sitting there going, all right, when's the woe is me going to stop? Because here's the answer. And he's like, just go tell them. Everything you just told me, go tell them. And of course, a lot of times our response is, but, but what if they don't forgive me? What if, they don't, what if they don't hear? What if they don't forgive me? And this is the conversation that, that Hosea is, is having to Israel, is having to us, is go tell that to the Lord. And He is faithful to forgive. He is faithful to forgive. It's not like one of us that hold grudges and we don't forgive. The Lord is faithful to forgive. And this is where we see repentance starts right here. We take our words and we ask for forgiveness. Right? You see that in verse 2? Take with you words. Isn't that funny? Like we, we want to come with an offering. right? We want to we come with this, but God, here, I, I did this, but I, will this make it right? But it says, just take with your words. Do you know God has spoken to us with words? Words are powerful. Words is how we can communicate. We can lift one another up. We can destroy one another. James calls the tongue uh, a restless evil that can start a blaze of fire. We can worship one time with God with our words, and the next we can destroy with our tongue. God has communicated to us and He's given us words to speak. And here He says, Hosea is telling us, use your words. Pray to the Lord with your words, the earnestness of your heart, and take with Him your burden and confess those things too. Say to Him, take away my iniquity, accept what is good, and pay with bowls the vows of our lips. 
This is how, this is the proper words of repentance. This is a template on how we are to repent before the Lord. We must ask Him and Him alone to confess our sins, that He is the only one that could forgive us of our sins, to take away our sins. We cannot take our own sins away. We cannot take away our own failures, even though we try. Or we ignore them, we, we, we sweep them away ourselves, or we put them in the back of our minds, we forget about them. But hear the promise here, hear the promise that if we confess to the Lord, that He takes them away, all of it, all of them. He doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't hold these things against us. Our God is faithful and just. I'm quoting 1 John 1, 9, all like seven times already. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He receives us graciously. We come in our confession as needy before the Lord to the one and the only one who can forgive. And He graciously receives us by grace. By grace. It says there in verse 3 that our, our repentance is to be like the vows of our lips of, of offering sacrificial bulls. Like the sacrifices that were offered on the altar before God in the Old Testament. But we remember back from Hosea 6.6, 6, it says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Or maybe it was maybe when King David said, when he sinned against the Lord in Psalm 51, another great place to look in, in confession and repentance, he says in verse 15, he says, Oh Lord, open my lips. Words. And my mouth will declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Now, of course, we see from Hebrews 10.4, I read this last week at the end of our service, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. And what he is saying here is that it's not the bulls and the sacrifices that we can bring it's nothing that we can do. It is that we, we bring our words humbly, receiving, always knowing. It's grace that we need. It's grace and grace alone. God doesn't want our religious sacrifices. God is not, doesn't care about those things. He's not caring for us in our religion, in our roles that we play, or just some moral, external conformity. He doesn't care about the bulls that we bring. But the Lord wants our hearts. Hearts that are broken and contrite. Hearts that are needy. And that's what repentance does. Repentance is the, the peeling it back. Say, God, i got nothing i got nothing. i got nothing but filthy rags to offer you. I only can plead for your mercy and your grace. And we do so knowing that He is God that will forgive. 
And so we pray and ask for forgiveness. We use our words. And when we repent, we start by asking forgiveness. But when we turn to the Lord, repentance has fruit to it. It bears fruit. It bears fruit in in the forsaking of sin, right? It's no longer going south on 80. I'm forsaking going to Savannah. I want to go to Portal. That translates for people who know the area. I don't know, does that work? Is that right? Crap. (laughs) Sorry. I'll scratch that from the recording. Change it. But But you understood, right? You guys got it, right? I forsake that, and I want this. So repenting is forsaking, forsaking sin. And what we see identified here in verse 3 is, is the false security. We see false security, Assyria, right? The superpower that they, that they thought was going to protect them from any invader. And guess what? It was Assyria that crushed them. It's their horses, their, their, their strong military, their technology, their, their stuff. That'll protect me. That's my, that's my security. Or maybe it was their idols. But all was going to provide. He'll, he'll make my crops grow and my, 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 my sheep have more lambs. That's my security blanket. That's it. Now, we're not, we're not tempted to turn to Assyria for, for, for protection. We're not. We're not tempted to go to Syria. We don't, we don't have many horses. If you do, they're certainly not your security and hope. But we do have false places of security. We do have idols that we, that we look at, that we have hidden in our hearts, that we think that if we, we get these things, that's what's going to really make me happy. That's what's going to make my future secure. We have our Assyrians. We have our, we have our, our horses. If we get those things, my life is going to be better. But what we see here in repentance is that it forsakes all of those things. It forsakes those, those, those false senses of, of security and trust in the Lord and centers on, on the Lord. All sin, forsaking, all false, false securities, we're, we're forsaking, we're going the other direction. Isn't it funny how quickly repentance reveals and exposes so much? The more you repent, the more you'll repent. And you will be delighted in that. Because you'll see overwhelmingly, over and over again, the kindness of God and the mercy of God, and the steadfast love of God. Our hope is only in the Lord. We must renounce and reject all of those things that promise security, or comfort, or satisfaction. Whatever sin, or idol, or or security thing we look into that's going to protect us, or might make our lives better. Our hope is in the Lord. And as we repent by asking forgiveness, and as we repent by forsaking our false senses of security, we also see that repenting is exercising faith in in God's fatherly love. Look at the end of verse 3. In the orphan, 
right? In them, in him, the orphan will receive mercy, will find mercy. The orphan, right? Kind of kind of brings me back to the idea, thought about the, the children. Remember the children between between Hosea and Gomer? The three children, one's named Jezreel, the other one was no mercy, and then the third one was not my people. It was almost like they were they were orphans. uh, uh, as they represented the unfaithfulness and the hopelessness of of Israel. And when it says when we turn away from from God's love and we reject God's grace, we are choosing fatherlessness. We are choosing to be an orphan. Outside of Christ, all of our spiritual condition is bleak and sad. No matter how good someone's life may look if they're outside of Christ, their future is bleak and sad. It's always that way. We're like an orphan that is living on the streets and we should have pity on those orphans. Fatherless is real. But what we see here is that the orphan will find mercy. The once fatherless will, will have a father. A Father who forgives. Where we were receiving no mercy, we will be called abundant mercy. Because we need abundant mercy. Where we were once called not my people, we are now called my child, my son. Welcome home. When we repent to the Lord with our words, forsaking our false sense of security and our idols, Brothers and sisters, we are coming to God. We are coming to a a heavenly Father who loves us. And in Christ, He makes us a people. He makes us a people, His his children. Once not loved, but now loved by God. And when we put it in comparison, all the things that we're trusting in, all these false senses of security and even sin, we can look at it and say, it's nothing in comparison to Christ. It's nothing in comparison. These things, this security is not going to be there for me. The Lord will. The Lord has. He'll continue to do so. He's been abundant in His grace and His kindness. We don't want to run from, from godly guilt. Because it's godly guilt that leads us to right repentance and delight in a heavenly Father who loves us dearly. May the Holy Spirit draw us back in our sin. That we may repent. So we see repentance there. What a, what a glorious call of repentance there. And then we, it transitions then. Then after repentance, there's this, there's this deep flourishing of joy that God promises to His people. It's this deep flourishing of, of, of joy. It's like a, it's that song of sin. It's like, it's like God singing over us joy and restoration and, and renewal. This is how God responds to us. The beautiful song. I will, I will heal. Verse 4, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. He will heal us from our apostasy. Exact same word being used there for apostasy, for return. Did you know that? But apostasy has a different direction. It's a turning from the Lord and going back the other direction. 
Apostasy is, is leaving and, and going away. And this has been the, the whole guilt of, nor, of the northern kingdom. You have, you have gone apostate from me. You have rejected everything about me. My grace, my love, my mercy, my provision. You did everything you could to, to reject me. And what God says is, I'm going to heal your apostasy. I'm going to heal your turning. That means I'm going to pick you up like I do with Lydia sometimes, and I put her in the right direction. And no, Lydia, don't go upstairs. Stay in the living room. So, Lord, I will heal you of your apostasy. I will heal you from your turning. Stop turning and turn to joy. Stop turning and turn to joy. And this is what God does. He turns from us in his anger. So, so look at the play on words, right? He's, he's healing us of our turning, and then he turns from his anger. What a, what a, what a picture of the gospel. What a, what a picture of, of, of our justification. How far we are become justified before the Lord. How he, he heals us and removes our sin and washes, washes us white as snow healing us and restoring us. Healing us, restoring us. What a great promise. Turning from his anger to, to heal us so that we will flourish. It continues. It continues that we will flourish in verses 5 and 6. I will be like the dew to Israel. He, will, he shall blossom like the lily and he shall take the root of the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like an olive, the fragrance like Lebanon. Now these don't look like much promises because they're metaphors, right? They're, they're, they're metaphors. But if you were in a dry desert, the dew is a really important part of the, the idea of how they measure their precipitation. It is so important for the, for the life, that, that to sustain the life of the plants and the animals and things like that. Do you remember last summer when it was just ridiculously hot, and we had no rain, it seemed like, for months. Now, there are other areas like North Georgia where it was really bad, and they're still feeling the effects of it. But what sustained my grass at my house and, and the trees at my house was the morning dew. Was the was the the morning dew? It became just a it became breath of fresh air for for the plants every time it fell on them and nourished each another each other leaf and every blade of 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 grass so that it could make it the next day through that through that summer heat. You see, when we turn to the Lord, He flourishes us and nourishes us, and He brings beautiful growth in our lives and nourishes us in such a way that we blossom like a beautiful lily. I mean, if that doesn't translate for you now, because it's springtime and flowers are starting to really pop, y'all seen some beautiful flowers pop? There's very few left after that freeze we had. But they're blossoming, coming to life. And this is what the Lord says, I'm going to nourish you just like that. You will blossom like the lily. You will blossom like the, like the lily and you will, you will be beautiful and you will reflect such a great splendor. A greater splendor even better than yourself. You, you will reflect my glory, my majesty. 
He also says that our, our roots shall, shall spread out, meaning they're going to continue to grow. Our, our roots were like a, were like a dead stump, like a, like a tree that was cut off, a dead stump. tree is gone, nothing left. And God brings growth from nothing in our lives. And our roots will, will spread out from the dead stump and we will grow and we will flourish. This is what healing forgiveness does. This is what healing forgiveness does. It brings sanctification and it matures us and it grows us in Him so that we will flourish in the Lord. That's what flourishing means, by the way. It means to grow. It means to mature. It means to delight in Christ. It means to depend upon the Gospel and to apply it to your life every day. To trust in steadfast love. Flourishing does not mean you will not suffer. And if you are suffering, does not mean you are not flourishing. In fact, you may be flourishing in your suffering. That God intended you to flourish through suffering. I firmly believe that the Lord wounds those whom He is growing the most. And if we are flourishing, we will see that. We'll see the suffering of the Lord as Him lovingly strip away our love and our desires for this world so that we would place all of our faith and trust in Him and satisfy and be satisfied in Him alone and treasure in Him. But this flourishing goes further. The flourishing we will see from Him, that healing, that growth, that maturity, that sanctification, it doesn't stay with us, but it, but it, it goes forth like the, like the roots. It spreads out. It goes to other places. And I, I believe what this ver, verse 7 is showing us is that what we, will, we will also bring others to flourish. Let me help you understand that. So not only will we flourish and grow by God's grace, but, but through us, God will, will, will bring others to flourishing as, as well. So in verse 7, he's not just saying Israel will, will dwell beneath God's shadow. That's certainly there. There's, there's truth to that. But what I think he's really getting from, from the, the flow of verse 5, you see the pronouns change there. The pronouns change from, from, from he and, and his to they. To they. And then, and then you see that word, my, at, at that in the verse. Ben, my, beneath my shadow. That word can also be translated as His. So they will, or they shall return and dwell beneath his shadow. His, Israel, they, others. So when the Lord gives us flourishing in our lives, that it doesn't just stay with us. Others see and can rejoice and be blessed by it. This is what we were talking about in our, our read on Wednesday nights as we talked about the, the gospel and gospel culture. That when that doctrine begins to really get into our hearts and change our lives, a beautiful culture begins to grow and flourish. As we all continue to cultivate the gospel things in our, our lives and rooting out sin and pulling the weeds of, of sin and putting the axe to the root of sin, we're growing. We will continue to cultivate the gospel in, this, in our church. That's what this is saying here. 
Others will be blessed. And it says they will flourish like, like grain. Grain, metaphor for what sustains life. Bread, food. It's what nourishes us. And so, in other words, Israel, you will bring life to the world. And you will point to the one who sustains all life. Their fame, their fame is literally their, their remembrance. When you are remembered among the nations, there will be a fondness in that memory. There will be a blessing in that, in that memory. And you know what? You know, Israel was to be that. Was to be that. that was, that's what they were supposed to be. That you were going to be a blessing to all peoples and all nations. And you know that it is now being fulfilled in the church. This promise is being fulfilled in, 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 the, in the church that we would be a blessing to, to the nations. And, and I, I think that as, a, as the church, we can hold on to this missional promise of God. We can hold on to this missional promise of God that, that as a church, as sovereign grace church, we can hold on to this promise that the Lord is going to use us as a shade of protection for people, for, for our city, for those who will hear the gospel through this, through this church and through you as members of sovereign grace church. That we as the body of Christ we become a source of life as we live to proclaim the gospel through our doctrine, through our message, which is our doctrine, and our culture, our gospel culture as a church. Let me show you how this makes sense. Think about those the Lord has used to influence you as a Christian. Maybe a mentor, right? Not a word I use very often. Maybe it was a, a pastor. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was your mom or your dad. Maybe it was a brother and sister in Christ that for a season of your life just, just pointed you to the gospel. I have several brothers in my life that the Lord has used throughout my life to be those men and those instruments. So how do you remember them? Do you remember them in fondness? Do you remember them in gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord for, for the Lord sending these people into your life? That's what Hosea is saying here. When you flourish in the Lord by, our, by repentance, the, the fruit of that, the outcome of that is not only your flourishing, but others flourishing. We affect greatly one another. We greatly affect others. You know, in a, a church, in, or in church, we've been trained subconsciously to believe that if, we were going, if we're going to be an effective church, if we're going to be a, a, a growing church, and I mean in, in the number-wise, then we've got to do mission projects. We've got to get out there, right? And those are good. Those are things that we can do. But guess what? That is not where it starts. It starts right here. It starts at Repentance. Be a people that repents to the Lord and is obedient to the Lord, turning to Him for daily thankfulness and repentance in His, in His grace. Point one another to, to the Gospel and God will grow us. 
Never. In the book of Acts, does God tell his church to go out and, and go soul winning? He doesn't tell them to, to go out and hand out water bottles at the temple. And all those things are not bad, please understand. But it's not the call of the church. Our call is to be obedient to God and repent and trust in Him. And God will give the growth. We can trust that our God is sovereign in these matters. Sorry for yelling. But we must be passionate about this. It's truth. We have to be a people. Don't worry about others. Just worry about ourselves. Be a people that repent and trust in the Lord because this is where it starts. He is the only one that will bring flourishing to us. We cannot conjure up our own flourishing. Only God can do that. So we must trust the Lord with our flourishing. So I think that's what the, 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 the point of verse 8 is. It says, I'm going to look after you. It's I who look after you. I'm like an evergreen cypress. I remember reading this. I didn't know evergreens were, I mean, cypresses were evergreens. Is that right? Man. Evergreen cypress. That means I'm never dying. I'm always there. I'm like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. (sighs) If we can hear this. From me comes your fruit. Brothers and sisters, it is so easy to try to dial up our own recipe to create our own synthetic fruit. But have you ever ate a piece of synthetic fruit from Hobby Lobby? A few of my kids have. It doesn't end up well. They don't satisfy. We must learn to go to the one who can only give us real, lasting fruit that will nourish us and bring great flourishing for us as a church. As a people, he can be trusted as, a, as an evergreen cypress. He is superior to any other Alternative. He is the mountaintop of all joy and, and satisfaction. Where else can we turn to find true life? What can this world offer us that will make us more beautiful than what God can do? Nothing. In fact, the world tells us that we're ugly. The world tells me I'm skinny and I got a long neck and I got nothing to offer. But God says, You're mine. I'm going to use you. I'm going to take uh, a short, pudgy guy who was persecuting my church and I'm going to use him to change the world. The Apostle Paul. God takes what the world rejects and it makes him glorious because he's an evergreen cypress. He's what brings the fruit. Did you notice that he mentions Lebanon three times? That's another kind of play on words. Lebanon was where Baal came from. So where they were looking for, where Baal came from to satisfy them, to be their idols, I'm saying, nope, that was me. I'm I'm the giver of all the life, all the blessings, all the joy, and I love it. I love how Hosea, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he just kind of hijacks that from them, just takes it from them, saying, nope, not yours. Them trees of Lebanon, you think Baal gave them? 
Nope. That was the Lord who did that. Brother, that's where we must look to the Lord for our flourishing, not our false idols. We exercise and trust in Him. There's a song that we're going we're gonna to sing later. We've sang it before. It's called Not In Me. And I think that's the point of this song. I'm just going to read the lyrics. It says, No list of sins I have done. No list of virtues I pursue. No list of those I am not like. I can't, I can't earn myself a place with you. Oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner through and through. My only hope of righteousness is not in me, but only in you. Repentance. No humble dress, no fervent prayer, no lifted hands, no tearful song, no recitation of the truth can justify a single wrong. My righteousness is Jesus' life. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by Him, and He alone can give me rest. No separation from this world. No work that I do, no gift I give can cleanse my conscience, cleanse my hands, I cannot cause my soul to live. But Jesus died and rose again. The power of death is overthrown. My God is merciful to me and merciful in Christ alone. It is only in Him will we flourish. And we are completely dependent upon Him. All right, now we're going to zoom out. Y'all ready to zoom out? We'll zoom back the lens of Hosea, pull the thread all the way through so that we can see the big picture of God's passion, His love, His righteousness, and mercy. We look at verse 9. It says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressions, dressers, stumble in them. Hosea is written to us and given to us for our understanding so that we can know. God hasn't left us ignorant. God hasn't left us in our, on our own to figure things out on our own. He's given us His Word to, be know, to know and to be wise of the things of the Lord so that we may be obedient to them. So this message throughout all of Hosea that living parable that he gave us that we talked about in the very beginning has a greater meaning than just for Israel. We've been hinting at it all eight weeks. Greater meaning than just uh, for Israel, but it's a meaning for all of humanity. It's a meaning for all of, all of humanity. It's a message and a testimony of not just of, of Israel, but for all of us. Hosea was, a, a, was literally a real man. No questions about that. But Hosea points to something greater. The man. He points to someone greater. Hosea was a, a type of someone greater. And that someone greater is the Son of God. Jesus Christ. So in our, in our story of, of Hosea, so let's, let's just kind of replace some characters here, right? God stays the same. He's God. Hosea is Jesus. Gomer is the church. It's us. Those who will be redeemed. It's us. Hosea is Jesus. 
And then there's Gomer, who, who is us. And do you know that Hosea, the name, is another form of the name of Joshua? And Joshua means God saves. Yahweh saves. And Joshua is the Hebrew version of the Greek, Yeshua, Jesus. Can you see the connection there? Hosea is a type of Jesus. Reflecting how, how, how Jesus was called. The word of God came to Hosea, Hashia, to go do what? To go marry an unfaithful wife to redeem her. To buy her for herself. Brothers and sisters, we are that unfaithful wife that Christ has, has, has bought, like Hosea did, walked into, the, walked into the brothel and brought her out himself. Says, she is mine. This one is mine. I want her. We see God's, we see the gospel just throughout Hosea. God will judge righteously. See that in Hosea? Judgment pronounced upon, upon Israel is a, is a type of the judgment that's going to befall all of humankind. It will be even more terrifying than the Assyrians. And we see the picture of God's love. And we see that promise fulfilled of God's love being manifested in His Son and how He sent His Son to die for us, for the church, to redeem us. The heart of the message is God's love for His church. And God promises us restoration and renewal, and that's what He's doing. Like I, I pray you guys would have eyes to see, to see God's restorative and renewal work in us as we flourish together in the gospel. That is so, that is so encouraging when we, when we get together as elders and we just kind of talk about that. Like we, we get to point at things and say, look at the grace here. Look at this. Look at what God's doing. And we just, we just smile and wonder. Just be in wonder of God's grace. And it's not the sacrifices of bulls and goats that will satisfy. It's Christ, the blood of Christ, that has satisfied it all for us. What can I do, the song says? What can I bring? Can I bring a tearful song? Not in me, but in all of you. One of the greatest blessings for me, and I'm almost done, one of the greatest blessings for me as I've been preaching and studying Hosea has been as we've been looking through the Scripture how it has also, the Word of God does, um, wow, man, what is that, 10, 12, the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, um, cutting back the bone from the narrow, separating the bone from, from the narrow. And that is what the Word of God has done to me over these last weeks, peeling back and showing me sin, showing my, the, uh, the adulterous heart that I still have, the, the unfaithfulness that I still want to pursue. shows me the, the flesh, but it quickly brings me back to Christ. shows me how much I am more like Gomer than anything. 
how I run away from love and the greatest of all joys. I go after and I abuse grace. But the Lord doesn't leave me there and the Lord doesn't leave us there in this, in this text and, and throughout Hosea. It doesn't leave us there. God doesn't leave us like the, like the woman caught in adultery thrown on the ground. I could have been Gomer. Thrown on the ground. Ready to be stoned. Ready to be condemned. Caught in adultery and Jesus was the only one who had the right to pick up a stone and bash her head in. But he didn't. But he didn't. That's the pleading before the Lord. It says, and he says, no one condemns you. No one condemns you, and neither do I. And when he tells me to go and sin no more, that is easy now. Because my debt has been forgiven. It's been taken away. Oh, church, we were once Gomer, but not anymore. We are saints in Christ. We are the glorious bride of Christ. Sure, we got problems. We got issues. Well, how's the song go? You got 99 problems, but being condemned by God isn't one of them. No one else got that. I think John got it. Is that Kanye West? I'm sorry. I should never quote Kanye West in a sermon. Terrible. It's not our problem. We are not condemned. We are to be astounded by His grace, astounded by His mercy. And we can repent freely before the Lord, using our words before the Lord, knowing we are going to be forgiven once again because Christ's sacrifice was perfect. Bestounded by mercy and grace. And as His bride, as His bride one day, the doors will open and we will see our Savior and we will walk to him as a pure and spotless bride. To be I'm sorry, I'm so emotional here, but I'm just, wow, it's glorious. Pure and spotless bride ready to come to him, to be received by him, knowing it's only him who has beautified us and made us beautiful before him. So let's always be repenting. Let's always lean in and press into the Lord because he's the only one that will bring flourishing for us and flourishing for others and let us remember the glorious good news of the gospel so that we will be ready when those doors open up. Praise God. Amen.